Then let us begin. Are you sure about this? Fortune favors the bold, does it not? We'll fight sooner or later. The fools believe they have us trapped in a corner. We'll show them how wrong they are. All forces, open fire. Welcome to It's a Gundam, the internet's best episode-by-episode episode Gundam Seed podcast that now has to watch this. My name is Jeremy. The secret was I never actually died in the first place. We already revealed it in the same episode. I'm Tyler. You know, I had something, but then just completely and totally spaced it, so everything is as normal. My name is Zach. Today we're going to be watching Phase 38, A New Flag, which seems like a weird name to me for this episode. I get it. It seems like a good name for a Gundam Seed Destiny episode. But not this one. No one really forms any sort of flag, nation, or credo. Yeah, assume, this one seems a little weird. I assumed it was the flag of surrender on the part of the Logosman. It's not really a new flag, though. Some would call it the oldest flag. Because it's literally just a blank white flag. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I have no particular justification. Unless it's an implication that Durandal is forming a new nation. Under God. Super plants. Yeah, and he is God also, obviously. If you haven't been keeping up with us, maybe you should listen to some of our past episodes. Maybe all the ones of the original Gundam Seed. I really like that show. If you listen to last episode, it sounds like I really like this show, too. We would be lying. Actually, the last couple of episodes make it sound like we really like this show. I do feel like this is the high point for Destiny. We're kind of at the sort of bottom of that parabola of high point of Destiny. We were also very um, praising of the combat between Shin and Kira. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like from there to the thing we keep talking about vaguely and referring to as a thing, is what I consider the high point of Destiny. Ah, uh, yes. The thing. But if you're just joining us, Durandal, the president of space, has declared war on war profiteering, and Jabril is a Bond villain in charge of war profiteering. I want to turn Logos into Spectre and make it an acronym now, and I got nothing because I came up with that idea literally as I said it. League Uber of twist. Genius Operation Spectres. See, the reason why Jabril, really, or not Jabril, Gilbert Durundle really wants to go to war with Logos is because they wouldn't let him in the club. <laughs> well, Legend- that's what they'll accuse him of this week. Legendary old gentleman offering services. <laughs> So we have a sketchy politician versus a bunch of rich white supremacists. Whoever wins, we lose. (laughs) Unless Lacus wins secretly. Oh, yeah. There is also the pop faction idol, which obviously is who we all want to win. But she's not really in this episode. The pop faction idol? Yeah, the pop idol faction. I know what I said, and I stand by it. You can put words in any order, and it's fine. The words do what I tell them. Durandal has his two apprentices, Ray, who is definitely just his apprentice. He is drinking the Kool-Aid. He's all about Gil. And Shin, who's starting to have second thoughts after Ray and the president told him to kill his best friend 
and the girl he knows sister. Well, kill his best friend slash mentor figure. Yeah, so is yeah. Alfred really his best friend? I feel like no. Ray's his best friend. No, best friend is absolutely not the word I meant to use. I just had no word, and my brain filled that in. That's fair. His well, Obi-Wan Kenobi. I, I do think Lunamaria and Athrun were Shin's best friends. Shin thinks Ray is his best friend. Oh. He's wrong, because Ray doesn't have any friends besides Gil. Oh, no, I mean, we know that, but Shin doesn't know that. Shin thinks Ray is his friend. <laughs> Let's see. Also, Captain Gladys, space mom, was like, I don't know what my ex-boyfriend, the shady politician's president of space, is up to, but I'm starting to get suspicious. Also, there's Luna Maria. Her sister died, and she's very sad about it, but the only person she can confide in is her killer. That makes for a weird-ass relationship, doesn't it? Yeah. I'm sure we'll talk about that this week. Who else? Also, there's Kira, Jesus Yamato. His giant nuclear robot got destroyed by Shin, and he has to sit in time out for a while. Because of it, he also blew up after I never betrayed anyone Zala's giant robot, which made him not be able to defeat Shin. Uh, uh, sorry, he, I just totally, because you said he had to go sit in time out, I totally just had the thought of how meanly cocky used to work. It was two minutes for fighting, five minutes for fighting and losing. I See, I've been playing a lot of League of Legends, so I just imagine Kira's death timer is up. And he's like, come on, I gotta respawn, I almost got enough gold for my item. What item does Kira stack? I mean, crit. I was gonna say dodge, but... Let's see, who else? Also, it turns out Atherin was not dead. Neither was Mayrin. They got picked up by Kasaka. Remember him? He was Rambo. So now a Zaft Alliance coalition are marching on Heaven's Bates, where Logos and the members of the Alliance loyal to them are hiding out. Oh, is it the Strike Freedom? <laughs> hey! <laughs> for those of you who don't know, Tyler's trying to guess the name of... Did you just, like, look that up, Tyler? Yeah, a little bit. Isn't that a dumb name? It is, yeah. There's also I'm the perfect strike in there somewhere, so... No, the perfect strike is the one that has all the packs equipped. We talked about that in, in Gundam Seed. Yeah, I didn't realize it was called the perfect strike. Yeah, really dumb. Right over the plate with I'm that one. I'm actually torn on whether or not I think Atherin's mobile suit is, is has a dumber name. I do. It's definitely a toss-up for me. So yeah, that about does it for last time. Anything we forgot? I think that's everything. I will say I am drinking Dr. Pepper cream soda right now, and I think that's a perfect metaphor for destiny as compared to seed. It's got all the fun flavors of Dr. Pepper, but it's just kind of watered down and just like, I'm not sure why it exists. I don't believe you talked about Lacus. She's not in this episode. Come on. Plus, she's my perfect favorite girl. I'm always talking about Lacus in my heart. So if Lacus had a nickname like you're giving the angry, singry and sad boys. Lacus best girl Klein. Mm, Lacus mm. mob boss Klein. Okay, that's better. Lacus I end wars, you know, Klein. That's much better. Thank you. <laughs> See, I'm trying to think of what her like nickname would be a la the Red Comet. I guess just the Pink Songstress. That's not great, but Yeah. Well, I mean, if you look at what everybody else's nicknames are, they ain't great. To be fair, if I'm fighting against her in like a Dynasty Warrior style game, I definitely expect her subtitle when she appears on screen to be Songstress of the Enemy Forces. That is true. See, in the Super Robot Wars game, Shin gets to be the Blue Lightning, and I think that's pretty good. When do they? When does anyone call him that? Just the Super Robot Wars games. Okay. Isn't Kira is like the White something or other? He is. I don't remember. It's a reference to the White Devil. Oh, he's the White Star or the White Shooting Star, maybe. And Atherin is the Red something. He's or the other. Crimson Comet. He is straight up a right next to Char Astable. Okay. Um. So yeah, that's a bunch of people's nicknames that may or may not be correct. Before we get into it, if you are watching the HD version, which is the version we usually 
send people to, because it is what's available, then you have the fifth opening to Gundam Seed Destiny, which was thrown together for the final episode plus, when they were like, oh no, no one liked the last episode, let's add five minutes of footage and hope they like it now, and release it over Christmas, and we'll have a new opening for it. The song for that is Vestige, which I always want to call Vestige, which is not a real word. You know, that one part in a magic act, the Vestige. Yeah, I was literally going to make that joke. You're welcome. But we are going to be talking for this episode only about the original fourth opening, Wings of Words, and that sequence. I don't know which one I'm going to use for the podcast. I'll definitely use Wings of Words next week. I think that song's a little better, but I tested them those, and Vestige works a little better for our format. When both I and Tyler were editing things, I wanted to do a cute thing where he would always use one and I'd always use the other, ah. but I pretty much just edited these now. So yep. if the opening sequence does not sound at all like what we're talking about, that is why. You can look it up. There's still like one YouTube video in grainy quality where you can see it. We just watched it a few minutes ago. So we are going to watch episode 38, A New Flag. Again, you can join us on Hulu, YouTube, or Crunchyroll. Last time, on Gundam Seed, Shin mm-hmm. yelled that it was Atherin's fault, got angry, and killed him. There was a cool lightning flash to go with it. And some explosions. Well, clearly all you need to do to survive anything in this universe is tell your name. Well, you get three death saves. You're bound to succeed some of them. Also, as previously mentioned, Luna went to Shin for support because he's her only friend left. And well, he awkward- sure shit not going to give it to her. <laughs> And he awkwardly hugged her as they cried at each other. I'm just imagining if Luna had had this breakdown at lunch and Ray just, like, offers her a popcorn shrimp. (laughs) I feel like he wouldn't even do that. I feel like he would scoot away. I I, I don't even feel Ray would scoot away. If she had that breakdown at lunch, he'd just sit there right next to her, finish his food, and leave. Or he'd say, it's all Atherin's fault. We have to follow the chairman. A totally helpful response. He's not going to try and talk over her crying. All right. So we start with a shot on the Eternal. As well as... as in, and it's a 3D render of the Eternal. Yeah, it looks awkward. The ghost of Kira and Atherin are over it, as are the meteors. Then Naked Shin starts flying into the sky before the destiny is superimposed over him. And then Wait, it, it has it's angel, like an wings, angel wings like wing. a freedom. Yeah, it's got like an angel wing. Actually, it's closer to the Wing Zero custom. And then we get the same shot of a mobile suit that hasn't shown up yet behind the title. But it's definitely a Kira mobile suit. There's a pan of the current crew of the Minerva. I actually like how all, all the crew of the Minerva are standing except for Lunamaria. As well as the crew of the Archangel, Lachis and Kigali are in their wedding dresses. Can we please stop having Kigali in that terrible wedding dress, please? Huh, this is interesting. In the one that we actually had for this, they had the names of the mobile suits underneath them all. They added that to all of the HD ones. None of the original openings have that, but all of the HD ones did. It's because this was in 4.3, and obviously the HD ones are not. So there's just awkward extra space in those black zones. So they just decided to put the characters' names rather than change the opening at all. Yeah. The song is kind of very down-tempo. It's very odd, especially compared to the other openings we have for Seed, which are all, or for Destiny, rather, which are all super high energy. I really didn't like it at first. And I I think this is a careful what we wish for situation because I way prefer it to what they replace it with, with Vestige. I actually really liked Vestige. It's, like, kind of jazzy, almost. Not really. I mean, there's piano and lounge singing. He's I talking about Wings of Words. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, so, not the next one. So we get the mobile suit shots you're accustomed to. Kira and Atherin's new suits. Kigali's got a new suit and a gun. Ray's got a gun and the legend, of course. 
Luna's got a gun. <laughs> and uh, another... It does the action of the strike, but I'm pretty sure that's supposed to be the impulse. That is the impulse. We've seen the impulse in shots like that in the first opening. Shin's got a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. And Lacus is in front of the meteor. <laughs> I thought that was really funny when I saw that. Especially with all the characters holding guns this and the music, it definitely feels like a Bond opening to me. Yeah. And that's, that's basically her admiral outfit. She's just not wearing the coat. Yeah. It's, it's a different black and pink one. I know because there are so many toys of that and so few toys of the one I like. Which is the one with the coat? Yeah. There's then a shot of the Destiny flying at the Destroy that we've seen before, but Ray and Shin's heads are imposed over it. Like, they're going to come to conflict. Well, it, the thing is, Shin's smiling. Yeah, and Ray is also kind of smiling. Can we back up just a few frames? Like, right over that shot of the Destroy. So, right there, there's another mobile suit hanging over the Destroy. It's the Legend. Yeah. Oh, it, okay. it, They replaced the, the Freedom with the Legend, because Kira's mobile suit used to be there in the other opening. And Shin is smiling, but it's a very sad smile. Everybody in this opening is incredibly sad, except um, for the ones who are angry holding guns. Yeah, so that tracks. But, like, Kira and Atherin are such sad boys, and it really takes down the energy and doesn't make me want to watch. Uh, we've got that Lacus Kira in front of the Freedom shot that we've seen in just about every opening, as well as the Lacus's boob shot, and the Lacus looking at the camera one from the previous opening. We got some Dom action. We got that shot that Tyler just loves uh. of Kigali's bra, and the scene way from the first opening of our three main characters being sad. And then Durundle being like, I have hope for the future. I'm a main I am character on a now. Hey, my girlfriend is naked behind me. Take a shot. <laughs> Man, if you actually were to take a shot every time in Destiny, you'd, you'd be dead. You'd be dead. There's one of Luna and Shin naked in front of the Destiny. A quick staccato shot I really like of Gladys and Gilbert followed by Shin and Stella as Stella dies. Then Mayron has still photoshopped herself into this picture. <laughs> and then uh, Shin running through space as all of the naked characters are behind him. This is the same <laughs> shot from the opening uh, or the start of opening three. Oh, no, I'm being attacked by naked people. I know some of them. Oh, no. And then Birdie. Remember Birdie? Birdie, Birdie. Flies away as the main character's three new suits are in front of the Earth. And they all look just incredibly sad in front of them. Like, just, Shin especially? He looks like you're about to scold him, and he knows you're about to scold and him. And I think, noticeably, Kira's in the middle. Yep, because he's the main character now. Move over, Shin. Like I said, I like Wings of Words more than Vestige. I gave this opening a lot of guff for being sort of down-tempo and slow, but I feel like Vestige is even more so. I actually, kind like I said, I kind of liked it. We but will, you are definitely right. It is a lot slower than basically any other Gundam opening I think I've ever heard. We will definitely be talking about that next week and probably for the rest of the uh, series, if I had to guess. I bet there are going to be a bunch of 13-year-olds every time the opening shows up again. 13? I think you're giving Tyler too much credit. I know you're giving me too much credit. <laughs> so we start with the assembled fleet. We see some newscasters looking at it. There are a bunch of submarines. The Minerva's just cruising in the ocean. Millie wishes she was there so she could get her damn Pulitzer. Evidently, the uh, deadline for the ultimatum they gave in the end of the last episode is five hours away. We get a shot of Izak on board his ship in orbit. Yep. Durandal's like, it's probably pointless, but if we can solve this without violence, we should try. Ray and Shin are in their machines. The Minerva's getting ready with for their new combat setup, basically, announcing where spare rifles and such are. Moon is trying to familiarize herself with the impulse. And uh, Shin and Ray both look like they were looking through the manual on their new Gundam. We get a brief shot that I think is added to the HD version, but I'm not sure, 
of a new mobile armor in the front and some GAT 105s in the back, which are the strike daggers that were modified to use the striker packs. And they've got the big cannons on them right now. I kind of dig those mobile armor, not going to lie. Yeah, they're pretty sweet. They're called the Usalid, I will say, because I do not think we get their name in this series. They never say what they are, but they look rad as hell, in my opinion. I think they show up in another episode, but I'm not sure. The members of Logos are just having a discussion about like what they're going to do right now. And Jabril's like, man, the Rundle must feel really high and mighty sending us a warning and waiting for a response and everything. And the old dudes are like, you can protect us, right? And Jabril's like, fuck that, let's go on offense. We have the ball. Best defense is a good offense. The Rundle basically punted to us, so we're attacking today from here. And then we get a shot of a destroy Gundam. And hey, look, it's Sting Oakley. Remember him? He's still around. Remember how he exploded in midair? It was fine. Oh, so you know what this means. Hmm. Since since no characters can die by explosion or anything like that, Shin killed Stella when he drowned her in the (laughs) lake. (laughs) She also had the breeze in her. She could have died of Debris. No, no, no. It's totally drowning because we, we all know that kind of thing can't possibly kill a character. Yeah, unless you see them get cut in half before the cockpit explodes, assume they're fine. Exactly. But he was cut in two and both halves exploded in midair. He's extended. He got better. So Logos is talking about... literally extended the lower half of his body. So Logos is talking about how people are easily swayed by Durendal's sort of talk, but it's all just people trying to grab for power, and that's why they have to get rid of him. Obviously, everyone will grab for power. We're no different. We should keep it, not him. Yeah, the world should belong to us, not coordinators. One of them's like, yeah, you have a point. Even if they destroy us, they'll just take our place. This is going to make me sound like a bastard, but he's not wrong. Like, that's, I think, what Durundle's plan is I'm from the beginning. 100% that's Durundle's plan. And, like, Cigar Guy is like, yeah, we all know, because we're all arms dealers, that there's no such thing as a true saint. Now, let me smoke my cigar and drink Or a real crusader for justice. Like, that kind of thing doesn't really exist. It's all a veneer for someone to use as an excuse. Except for... Kira, double Jesus Yamato. I to be guess. fair, I don't think Kira ever really said, I'm a crusader for justice. He basically said, I'm enforcing peace through superior firepower. Which is really what Durundle wants to do, arguably. Fun yeah. fact, it's the plot lines of Double Lot. Yeah, to be fair to Durundle, I don't think his ultimate goal is, then I will make all the money. He is somewhat more ambitious than that. They aren't wrong, exactly. He wants to rule the world. Yes. What are we going to do tonight, get Durundle? Same thing we do every <laughs> night, Ray. Try to take over the world. They're Gilbert and Ray. One is Nemo. The other's President. (laughs) (laughs) No, the other's El Presidente, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) So Jabril says they'll begin as soon as preparations are complete. These are the last moments the chairman will ever feel so competent. He'll regret showing off and coming to the front lines. I mean, on the one hand, it is kind of stupid for Durundle to be here. On the other hand, how do they know he's here? Uh, Yeah, that's a... I'm assuming they know because... Spies? I assume spies. I was going to say, like, because of the transmission? He's already proven he can transmit wherever he damn pleases. I, I know. From wherever he damn pleases. Unless it was, like, a live transmission with the, like, obviously on board the Minerva, but we saw that it was just a list of demands. Yeah. He's like, anyway, he can regret it in hell! Ray's getting dressed as Luna comes into the ready room. Shit is already there waiting, and she's just like, the impulse. It's incredible. Do you think I can handle it like you did, Shin? And she just looks like super down with herself, which we know is not how Luna is at all. She's all super peppy. She's never doubted her skills at all. Well, I think, like, obviously she's trying to get over her sister. They are both trying to throw themselves into work. And they're trying, and she's trying to 
blame someone else. Like, yeah, she's distinctly not blaming Shin. She's blaming Logos. Yeah, she is in bargaining now, basically. Of yeah. like, but Logos made them go crazy, right? That's the only explanation. Atherin and Mayrin would never do that. Honestly, like, because we know the answer, Shin actually does have a lot of blame for trying to kill Mayrin. Like, he's got all, all the same blame as Durundal does. Because he made the conscious choice in this one. I, def- I defended him on the whole Stella thing, but this one's totally <laughs> on him. But I think he knows that. And I think that is what's tearing Shin up, as we will see here. There's some flashbacks to Marin being a sweet girl and Luda just not being able to believe it. And she kind of was like, if he just hadn't gone to Orb. If, like, if Atherin hadn't gone to Orb. Yeah, if Atherin hadn't gone to Orb, he'd probably have been in front of a firing squad. Well, Izak got out of it, so... Izak didn't turn traitor. Well, that's true. Izak didn't take one of the most advanced mobile suits of the time and defect. On the other hand, the winners write history and Atherin won that war. Well, I guess they also, they they let Diarca Diarca back in. Mm -hmm. But that's because Izak was like, nah, it's cool. I also get the feeling that it might have been like a term of the treaty type of thing of, okay, we're not going to do anything about Atherin or Kira or anything like that, but they're not allowed to come back to the plants. Could be. So Luna is breaking down. She has tears in her eyes. as She's like, Atherin betrayed us and took my sister. It was wrong. And I'm such a fool for trusting him. And she remembers spying on him. And she's like, but I won't let it get me down. We just have to do our job, right, Shin? And, and she, she starts petting like his a puppy head. Dog. Yeah. Which he, like, recoils from. Because I think Shin is really not ready to accept. Like, Shin's not ready to forgive himself. And the person whose sister he killed is forgiving him. Well, I don't know. Like, this is maybe honestly, a little too soon. I don't really think... Lunamar is necessarily forgiving him. I just don't think she knows what to do right now. Well, yeah, th- this next moment is really going to prove that. She's like, okay. She's like trying to absolve him of guilt, though, because she wants to rush in as they're both seconds away from tears. And she goes in for a kiss, which is what starts Shane causing him to cry. And he can't do that. So he goes for the hug instead, just crying on her shoulder as she cries back on his. And goes for like the awkward half hug back because she doesn't know what she's doing either. So then they look at each other and they decide on the kiss. Like, maybe this will make us feel better. I hope. God. And in the middle of this, you just have attention ground crew number eight. And Shin says, sorry. She's like, no, it's okay. Yeah, that's not a healthy start to a relationship. No. This is two people desperately searching for affection and relief anywhere. And they are the only two people in the room who are likely to provide it. Well, it's probably one of those things. They may, they're probably not very close to anybody else on the ship. Whereas we know they're friends from Academy. This is a very subtle thing, but there are only two people who call Luna Maria Luna, and it's Mayrin and Shin, which does kind of imply a closeness. I hadn't noticed that. Yeah, like I said, it is subtle. And Shin's like, don't worry, I'll protect you. And she's like, I wasn't worried until you said that, because that has gone terribly (laughs) for literally everyone you have told. Everyone you've said, I'll protect you, has died. You know what? I'll be fine. Yeah, Shin, protecting is more Kira's thing. You killed him, remember? And then, and then Ray, Ray shows up. Yeah, like, Luna's about to protest when Ray comes in and they're like, yeah, oh, oh we can't be in a relationship with him here. So, cut to a news chopper who's, like, we're currently above Heaven's base three hours before the set time for the response. I actually kind of like how it shows us a ready room of a bunch of different pilots. A couple of them are talking, two dudes are taking naps, and another dude is reading. Mira's curled up on her bed watching the news. Is she with them, or is she at the, still at the Gibraltar base? She's at the base, base. I believe. There's no reason for her to, like, not that there's a reason for Durundal to be there, but at least there's he is technically commander-in-chief. There's even less reason for Mir to be there. Yeah, yeah. yeah so Durundal wants a gloat, though. And Durundal does have military authority. Uh, and there's, like, if the deadline passes, there's going to be fierce fighting, because this is 
the Alliance's biggest remaining base. It's got factories there. And we see it's this pretty- broadcast on TV in various places around the Everywhere. world. Everywhere. Although we didn't get the shot of the uh, the girls <laughs> next to the lamppost in that one. Yuda and his dad are watching, too. So it's nice that they spend time together. And we get a shot of the Archangel being worked on. And the plane that Kisaka was flying has landed here. And there was a Mayrad. And an Atherin. And they're now on the Archangel's bed bay, so I guess it's better facilities. Apparently, Mayrin, like, it makes a little bit of sense that Mayrin's in a different room from Atherin and Moo, but, like, where is she? We've never had the med bay be portrayed as particularly large. I just, I imagine it's partitioned and we've only ever seen. She's in I the... told, I, initially, I just had a thought of, like, why is Moo still here? Shouldn't they have, like, put him in the brig? Yeah. But I just had a thought. They took the brig out. And replace it with hot springs. <laughs> See, for me, I think it's more a psychological thing if they don't want to put Moo in the brig. Like, they don't know what to do with him. And, like, in their head, he's kind of like a psychological case. So medical care is where he needs to be. I don't know what it is about this shot of Moo, but he just looks snug as a bug in a rug here. Like, he's just, like, he's got his covers pulled all the way up. It's like he just had his milk, and he's like, oh, yeah, the good life. <laughs> I've heard that. I love how just, like, like... All it all that's exposed is his head that moves around. Although I do kind of get the feeling like Moo's like, damn, now I no longer have a private room and people are in and out all the time and I don't know who the fuck this kid is. <laughs> I was also going to suggest that Mayrin is in uh, Flay's old room. It's the redhead room. So all the Earth forces are in place and they're like, let us begin. And one is like, Jabril, hey, are you sure? Because I guess he's in charge now. I guess maybe. I'm not sure if the president of the U.S. is on Durundle's side, Jabril's side, or neutral. We haven't seen them talking for a while. Yeah, so I was curious how the hell Jabril is able to take command of this base. I assume it's in the same way that Azrael was able to take basically tactical command. But he was actually a military consultant. Like, he had a job that made sense for that. We will never get these politics, but the way I've always read it is that the forces here are loyal to Jabril. Like, he okay. got these people here, and so they are loyal to him. And many people are not loyal to him. They went to, uh, to join forces with the Rundle, basically. That's possible. I mean, it's also possible that there's a good chunk of people here who aren't really loyal to Jabril, but they were told, go here. Yeah. Certainly so they're still loyal to the Federa- the Earth Forces, but their orders are still coming from Earth Forces officers. And like I said two episodes ago, I presume the bulk of the Earth forces that went to Durundal were with Eurasia, which we know Zaft was liberating, and the other Earth forces literally tried to burn, so yeah. they have plenty of reason to be upset. And Jarrell's like, whoever moves first has the advantage, right? We're going to fight anyway, so open fire. Honestly, his reasoning is actually pretty sound. They actually need a bit better of an ambush because a lot of their big stuff is actually not in play right now, but the Zaft... Alliance, uh, Alliance, Coalition, thank you, that's a better word, I just blanked on it, isn't He's ready for Alliance, it, Alliance Coalition. so they're gonna walk straight into it. Yeah, he's already the mustache twirling bad guy in the view of everybody, there's no reason not to <laughs> go for the tactical move. They're not allowed to delay, really, they're not gonna be able to do that. Yeah. So it makes a lot more sense to bitch slap them when they're not ready for it. So they open fire with missiles, Arthur is surprised, Rendell gives a what the hell. I don't know why anybody is surprised at this. Like, what made you think they weren't going to shoot at you? The guys who nuked us unprovoked attacked us unprovoked? Well, I mean, technically, I mean, to they be fair, did they, provoke them. But... They issued an ultimatum to the base, so maybe they're like, maybe the soldiers will defect. That's maybe true. Maybe they'll follow proper military protocol. However, the counterpoint to that is it's also entirely possible 
that they were told by the higher-ups that if they surrender, Zaft is going to shoot them all. And they have a reasonable case because that's exactly what happened in the last war. Yeah, and I was going to bring this up later, but I feel like this episode, speaking of it's like poetry at rhymes, is very much in line with that episode where they attack Panama and Izak is just disgusted with what his other soldiers are doing. Mm-hmm. And being like, what's the fun of this? They're not even moving. Like, why would I shoot still targets? Why would I shoot an unarmed man? Yeah. Although, man, these ships are made of magnesium with the way they're going up. Either that or all of the uh, missiles are pre-programmed to find the magazine. So the Earth forces begin launching. They got Windhams. They've got Strike Daggers. They've got 105 Daggers, like we said, in the new Usalids, which skim over the water. Those things do look really cool. I really like those. What are these underwater ones here? These are Forbidden Vortexes. This is the only episode in which they appear, which are based on the Forbidden Blue, which is a model kit variation on the Forbidden for underwater use. So this is the mass-produced version of those. They look like really dopey seahorses. I'm not a fan of this. <laughs> well, yeah. they're, they're the same as the Forbidden with its armor closed. If you look, they've got the shields on the sides just like it. They've got the thing. And we will see they open up And they've later got on. dumb tails. Why? We haven't received a response yet. Gladys, I, I have to break this to you. I think that was the response. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I understand why the media people are like, what's going on? They just opened fire. Yeah, they say not even a declaration of war, which may be a bad translation because the dub says not even uh, an official notice of hostilities. But I kind of wonder if their war has ended. And that's why I was asking whose side is the president on. It is difficult to say, although they're like, without even a declaration of war, Durundal already kind of declared war on them. So he has ships outside of their water. So, yeah. Or in his speech before, he yeah. basically declared war on Logos. Yeah, but again, like declaring war on terror. That is not actually declaring war. We then had to declare war on Afghanistan and Iraq to take action there. So the destroy with Sting inside stands by for takeoff. And he's it like, is- yes, oh, I got, I am going to destroy like I wanted. Which is is it, was the other one also the X-1 destroy? The, yeah, yeah, I think that's just the model number for the unit. Not yeah, okay. Being the X2, X3, X4, etc. would make sense. but I, I wasn't sure if that was actually the like the number or if this was like an upgraded destroy. Now, it was also an X-1. Um, also, that's really out of character for Sting. He's never been really like this bloodthirsty. Yeah, or maniacal. Yeah. They rebuilt him more psychotic than before. They had the technology. Faster. Dumber. More prone to exploding. And th- these are what I meant when I said that they didn't have all of their big guns in play for like their Like, they ambush. should maybe have sorted these before they launched an attack. On the other hand, the moment that you sortie these. Yeah, that's fair. Honestly, the way you want to, want to do that is have these in a prepared position somewhere beforehand. Like a concealed position. Yeah, if you can do it. As we see, more of them are coming out from the- various spots. I'd like to imagine the commander of this base actually suggested that, but Jabril hadn't finished his morning bath yet. Honestly, I don't think they had the time to actually prepare like specific concealed positions for yeah. them. Yeah. Because those I mean, things are really fucking big. Yeah, I was making a joke about that, but I do think they actually did not have time for that. Cut to the Archangel Med Bay, where Kira is sitting over Atherin as he finally wakes up. And he's like, hey, Atherin. And Atherin's like, oh my god, am I dead? Are you dead? Wait. You, you did tell wait. me when you died, you just woke up and there was a Lacus climb there. <laughs> so this must not be heaven, because my girlfriend's not here yet. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> and Atherin cries, he's like, oh my god, dude, I thought you were dead. And we get a flashback to Shin stabbing the freedom. As he and tries he's... to get up, and Kira's like, whoa, buddy, no, whoa, none of that. Whoa, go, lie down. You haven't had your two episodes of rest yet. To <laughs> heal from all of these bandage wounds. 
And he's like, you died. And he's like, nobody dies in this show, Atherin. You didn't even die. <laughs> and you were trying to. You know, I think I understand why everybody on the Archangel heals so goddamn fast. They must have like a back to tank or something on board there. <laughs> That's what That's the, the hot springs are. Back to the battle where Gladys gets a nice shocked face as they confirm there are five destroys and Arthur gets the best reaction, which is what? Five of those? We can barely Honestly, find it makes one. A lot, it makes a lot of sense as to why you'd have that reaction because it took basically everything they had to bring down one of them and they mm-hmm. only killed it because Kira killed it. Soupy. And these ones, there are more of them, so they're mutually supporting and they have backup. To be fair, and to talk about some stuff later, I do think had Stella not been the pilot, Shin would have been capable of destroying the first destroy. Because he's the one who gets the cockpit hit in early on. That is true. However, for Arthur and the guys that were yes, there, yeah. that's not a relevant fact. That's true. And five of them is like, you would assume they would have used them if they had them. So it's almost certainly not in their calculations that they would have these. And it's probably pretty difficult to assign them a battle strength, roughly. Since there was only one of them, it's like, we don't really understand all of what that thing can do. It can wipe out a bunch of battleships, it turns out. And then they all do. And they are hovering over the water like Tyler said they could. I mean, they're just big zams. The big zam was only in space, though. They made sure, though, that they were firing at all of the locations of the fleet that did not contain a main character battleship. Yep. Well, once the destroyed in them is mass-produced, we'll put an end to it sometime. Uh, so we get a damn Jabril from the Rundle. And they're like, at this rate, and they're like, yeah, I know. It's like, we have no choice. We'll have to begin our attack. Which, you know, seems like an order that should have been given already, it, but whatever. As, as soon as um, you know, they started came. shooting, it should have been immediately, okay, like, they're, gloves they're off. Like, is that it? Are we done? Was that a, is that a no? <sighs> Was that just a fireworks show that went out of hand? On the other hand, pretty hard to sortie when you are under a barrage. Yeah. I feel like it's a lot easier with the mobile suits because of the way they're built. Probably, but still, like, you have to open hangars. Well, I guess vulnerable. when the uh, ocean is being roiled, given how low the doors on those fucking carriers, you drop that door open in one of those rough seas and all the ocean is going to come on board and sink the <laughs> ship. So then we get the eye catch. Hello, everyone, and thanks for listening along with us to episode 38. And much like the underwater barrage we were just discussing, I've got a short barrage of updates, so I'm not going to do some sort of, like, joke thing in the middle, except for my normal amount of joke things, which, depending on your definition of the quality of the joke, I've calculated to be approximately three and a half with a standard deviation of 1.2 every episode. So, let's start out with Patreon. Thanks to our new patron, whose name I'm going to assume is pronounced Dante, like the devil may cryer, but not spelled at all that way. So, hey, thanks for showing us your support, and also everyone else who's been on Patreon for, like, ever. We really appreciate it. And if you're a patron on our Patreon. Is there a noun for that? Did they just call them Patreons in some sort of redundant cycle? I mentioned this last week, but we put up an episode where we discuss our experiences with Evangelion, which serves as a prelude to us watching the Rebuild of Evangelion movies. Uh, We are recording sometime in the next week or two our episodes, possibly, on the first one. So that episode will pop into the public stream that you're currently listening to shortly. We're recording our Patreon-only episodes on the movies in the next week or two, so if that's the thing you're interested in, uh, let us know. 
And if it's not a thing you're interested in, also let us know so that we can find out what you're interested in. We have this weird dilemma about, like, having a Patreon and needing to put up Patreon-exclusive things for people, but also none of us really like barring things behind a paywall, but... So that leaves us with a bit of a conundrum if we want to not be hemorrhaging money on the podcast like we have been for about a decade. Also, hey, thanks to Jadman025, if you are the real that guy, and hey, even if you're not, for dropping into our Discord. I've watched a couple of your videos, and it sounds like pretty much everyone else who listens to us has already heard of you, so hey, I'm, as usual, the last to learn basically anything. Alright, I think that's it. Back to the episode. And when we're back, Operation Ragnarok is in effect. I, I believe you mean Ragnarok. <laughs> and we get the uh, the cool Zaft drop pods coming in. Some forbidden vortexes are destroying some goons. We see one transform. They have harpoons. I guess lances. Well, I mean, a harpoon is just an underwater lance anyway. It's a matter of purpose rather than actual design. Destroys are missiling bobbies and lasering submarines. Dang is pretty happy with it. You know, I feel like... With that first volley, that news chopper should really be bugging out, right? Well, he wants that Pulitzer, Zach. He's covered wars, you know. We cut to Jabril, who's like, impeachments and ideals are fine, but they mean nothing unless you win. And I don't understand what he's saying. Well, he's saying winner take all. It's like I say a lot, mostly because I like saying it and I'm being facetious, you know. Winning isn't everything, it's the only thing that matters. So it doesn't matter how you get there so long as you win. So Zaft is dropping drop pods from space onto them. They're like, ah, they've activated our trap card. We have a thing specifically for this. Activate the mountain laser. I like how there's a couple of, like, dudes who turn around to the mountain opening up, kind of like, what the fuck is that? I thought we weren't going to have to use that thing. Zaku's are dropping down from space. It's the same shot we saw with the Jins in the previous series. Yep. But they bring out this big laser dish. The Nibelung anti-air cannon, which I feel like is just like an angled cyclops system. It looks more beamy, and like, when we see the things get hit by it, it looks like they're being pelted by a shotgun blast almost. Like, there are lots of little lasers hitting them. Yeah, there's it's like... Just the, the animation when it starts firing up makes it look like it's like a directed cyclops, but when it shows it firing, it's actually like a reverse version of when the Death Star beams come together. Yeah. It just fills the air with laser chafe, basically. And Arthur's like, Nani? Well, laser laser flack. Yeah. Ooh, fireworks. Ration and Luna all watch aghast, and the descent forces were completely wiped out. I-, I should point out that that weapon is actually colossally stupid. It's very effective in this situation. It is very specific in this one situ- specific situation when people are deploying right on top of it. <laughs> yeah. If they're not falling right on top of it, or, you know, just a few degrees off of where it is... It's probably not going to hit them. To play devil's advocate, I assume that is exactly what it was built for, though. Yeah. Like, they have plenty of defenses. It's not like, they're like, oh, no, they can't buy C. We're screwed. This is so that they cannot have drop support. Well, I was just saying that, like, more of if they were dropping slightly behind the mountain, the cannon still wouldn't be able to hit them because of where it is. Yeah, but I assume they are confident in their defenses from anyone trying to attack. Because it. I get the impression it's an island. We don't really ever find out where island Evan's base is. I, I got the feeling that it was like a peninsula or something. Actually, in my head, for whatever reason, this is like Alaska. Which it is explicitly not, but that's fair. It is very snowy. So, really quick, I was looking up Nibelung because I forgot who that was. That is the king of the Dark Elves in Norse mythology. 
he hoards gold like he's a dragon of some sort and lives in a mountain. So there you go. So Shin calls up the captain and is like, hey, I'm ready to go. Put me in, coach. We can't let them keep this up. Send in the main characters. And Durendal's like, yeah, my space attack didn't work, so it's going to have to be the main characters. And I actually really do like this as a stake thing because it makes it look like Durendal's plan is not just let's send in the main characters, but it means that they have to clean up, basically. Yeah, the, the plan was basically to leave those three on board the Minerva as like a last-ditch warning thing. I, I think more as tactical reserves, but they are on the flagship. Well, yeah, so. like a, a, a reserves thing. They're not the guys you commit right away. For the first time, we get full launch sequences for the Destiny and the Legend, as well as the same old one for the Impulse, just with Luna putting her helmet down now. What I love about this is that Luna also does the same dumb spin thing. Well, it's because they just recycled the launch animation. Oh, yeah, no, it's 100% the same launch animation. I'm like, is that just a pre-programmed cycle? Shin had it pre-programmed, and Luna couldn't find out how to turn it off. <laughs> no, she's like, Shin likes spinning. It must be a good trick. Well, the, the, the super ace did it, so it must be a good idea. I do really like the shot of Luna putting her visor down. I don't know why. Maybe it's just her little look on her face and that she's allowed to emote. But it's a good look. I really like it because as opposed to all the other ones, when they drop the visor, hers is actually like tinted black until it comes down. So the main characters enter the fight. Cut to Yunaroma Atha. Remember him and his dad having a nice wine and cheese spread while they watch the battle on TV. I do like that they have a TV made by Orb that just says a big Orb logo on it. I assume this is like in the, the Orb house. <laughs> the, it's like the White House, but Orb. Yeah. It's just like... Things in the White House don't say White House on them or USA on them. No, it's it... Orb's proprietary brand of TV. Yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. It's like a Samsung TV, except it's an Orb brand TV. Well, we do know their technology is the best, and they are an allegory for Japan. So so Yuna's like, hey, say what you want, but realistically, no one's going to beat the Alliance with their size and resources. Sure, they lost Alaska in the last war, but they still have Heaven's Base, which we now know about. And after every sentence, his dad just goes, eh. Yeah. Well, the thing is, like, the alliance, with the Alliance's sides, they're never going to win. It's like, yeah, but Zaf now has, like, half the Alliance on their side. Okay, so I uh, was reading his gamer dad's uh, gamer grunts as him, like, not really agreeing. I like the interpretation that he's just wine drunk way better. <laughs> <laughs> I like that interpretation, but I think you're right. I think he's like, my kid is so dumb and I don't have time to tell him right now. And also, I hope he's right. And he's like, even if they lose Heaven's Space, they still have the moon. It's a good it's thing just... we chose the Alliance, since they're going to win. And I do like how the rest of the Orb government seems to be in a panic over this. Well, they're just wine drunk in their room. The rest of Orb's government realizes this is going to be bad. And then he basically says the opposite of what everybody else has been saying, you know. So if we take out Durundal, the war is going to end. So we cut to the Destiny shooting Windoms. It's just as good as the Impulse was. It pulls out its big cannon. It's the first time we've seen it. It's the same one the Launcher Strike had. It's also got beam boomerangs in its shoulders for taking out two mobile suits with one weapon. Like it's some sort of impulse. He's dual wielding guns because Shin is just used to dual wielding after <laughs> having the impulse. And then we come back to Atherin and Kira and Archangel's sick bay. Atherin's like, how come I'm, and I'm sure he was going to say alive, but Kira decides to hear here. And he's like, Mr. Kasaka brought you. I was surprised. Kigali's been with you this entire time, but she's not here now because the writer is mad at her voice actress. And I mean, she wouldn't stop because crying. she just left. Luna is also killing Wyndham's just like Shin used to do it. <laughs> yeah, obviously, because they already had the shots from when Shin did it. So A Usulid from below tries to shoot at her, but Shin blocks it. Because he said Protector is like, hey, now that you can fly, you have to look below you. Which I guess is decent advice. But she's like, come on, Dad. 
I was doing fine. I would have dodged it or something. Well, it makes sense because she hasn't fought in the air. Yeah, up she to normally this point. just takes up position on the Minerva, so. A bunch of Wyndham's are flying about the legend, but it's able to starfish its guns in all sorts of different directions. And Atherin asks about Mayron on board after we jump back to them. And Kara's like, she's fine. You protected her, didn't you? That seems like a you thing to do. <laughs> she's in better shape than you are. Although I'm not exactly sure how Atherin protected Mayron in that, because they were both on board in the cockpit. And uh, I assume with close physical proximity. Maybe. He but, activated like, his seed mode. But yeah, I'm not sure either. The he was within five feet, so he was able to take the damage. Uh, okay, well, yeah. We know he can get down Mr. President, people. So We see the destroys transforming, which as we established before, does nothing. Like, they want this shot of the three destroys to be really intimidating as they're landing. But honestly, I personally just think it looks silly, frankly. Ray and Shin are here now, though, and Ray's like, we gotta crush him. Can you get close? And Shin's like, yeah. Cut to Kigali, who's like, oh, my boyfriend's awake now. And then Athrum proceeds to not say a word to her. Well, I mean, what exactly do you say in this situation? He does notice that her ring is still on. Destroys, destroys destroy more destroying. mobile suits. Shin damns them, remembers Stella. And so, for some reason, maniacal sting. Well, I think that's just a cut to sting. Rather yeah, no, than it's Shin. a cut to sting, yeah. And, like, Shin is realizing, oh, you're just like her. Like, all of you have to be that, right? And we get some flashbacks to the lab, as well as to them saying, hey, Stella only works if you boot her up on an alliance ship. Luckily, the shields on the Destiny are strong enough to deflect and destroys lasers. And which, Shin which, goes berserk again. Yep. Pulls out the Alondite, does the same shot as before with the after images and the pink wings, and E blames Logos for it while he goes in to kill them. He dodges real good and just cuts it in half, I guess. I guess he can just do that to them. I think you have to take into account what we sort of grasped at earlier, which is for whatever reason, the destroy shields do not work against melee weapons. Yeah, I think that's the only way you can look at it. And remember, Tyler, those big claymores were actually supposed to be anti-battleship Yeah, weapons. they're busters. But this is like... just the first time we get to see it used for that. And I do like this shot, again, because we've established the Destiny is more powerful than the Impulse was, whatever that means. But I think for what is basically the Destiny's debut, this is pretty cool and good. You know, obviously it fought against the Guff, but that was not really a combat test. That was an emotional moment for Shin. That was an emotional battle, not a physical one. Mm -hmm. um, it does go into Destiny's ninja problem where they're like, oh, man, what are we going to do now? I don't know. Five destroys. That's so many. And <laughs> oh, we'll be fine. They sent out five destroys. That means they're all weaker than the first one was. Yeah. And even if you're not familiar with that trope, again, it doesn't make Shin feel like a super cool badass for destroying five destroys. Really? I don't think. Even though I think like this is perfectly fine as a first showing for the destiny like it just feels like he's cleaving through them as he shining fingers one's head off which is actually a pretty cool shot and even gladys is like damn shin durandal has a nice smirk and arthur and what i think is reused animation from the first time shin used his scene mode he's like oh man shin's on fire again captain he's just sitting down in the shot and Dornell's like, yes, they're giving it every effort, so we have to use the opportunity to regroup. <laughs> yes, Arthur, they are, in fact, doing well. Good job. Luna cuts up some Wyndham's. And I do really like this moment where she's like, I'm uh, clearing up half. Teams follow me. It's maybe the first time Luna's gotten to do something very cool. And I really like the shot of a whole bunch of people forming up on her wing. As she leads the way. It's also really cool, and it kind of displays that Lunamar is paying a lot more attention to what's going on than Shin is. Yeah. I mean, Shin's just destroying destroys. We got a Zeno crushing some tanks, which I think might be reused from the Alaska fight. 
I was just thinking, Shin is just a human-shaped ballistic missile. You just kind of let him go and tell him, go that way and kill everything over there and let Lunamari actually lead everybody. Ray destroys some destroy hands while demonstrating that the legend also has that cool put my two beam sabers together mode that the Freedom and Justice had. The goons and Zenos are starting to destroy some of the forbidden vortexes as well as the usalids. Cut to Crygolly, just crying about how this happened. And Athens just like, want to protect Kira, Kigali, chairman, use people, found out. And Kira's like, hey, man, we can talk when you're not about to die. And you can form (laughs) complete thoughts. And you don't have a fever of 111 degrees. If you were not a coordinator, you would be dead. Let's just uh, (laughs) give us a little bit of time. We'll dunk you in the healing hot springs. The Logos members are all looking very serious as... They're like, hey, get the destroys over here. We have to and have them stop these new units. Have them focused on those guys specifically. And that's where they hear one of the first unit two, destroy unit two has been demolished. And the music shifts to a, what I think is a very cool song as it pans up from the destroyed thing to the destiny and legend. And Shin's not done yet as he cleaves another one just straight in two. It does the anime thing where it slides into two pieces before it explodes. And Luna then Lunamar is going in after one and Shin's like, yo, get the sword. I do kind of like how Shin is still, like, tactically using the impulse as weapons like this. He's like, you have to use the Excalibur. Get one for Ray too. Or oh, the <laughs> subtitles, hey. <laughs> yeah. Same for hey. Go do, home, Crunchyroll, you're drunk. Do other people notice the pupil dilation thing? Because he showed up on camera that way. Huh, I don't know. That's a good question. Because no, no one ever, ever said anything about, yeah. it, about Kira and Atherin before. And it looks super weird, so I feel like people would... Say something. Uh, no, they just figure they're on Adderall. Have Kira and Atherin ever been on video chat with anyone while in scene mode, other than maybe each other? I feel well, I like guess. Kira has said something to... Like, he was on comms with Millie at one point. You might be right. I do remember at least at one point where there was, like, a shot of both of them in the cockpit on somebody's screen while they were in scene mode at, like, the end of the last series. Although maybe you just assume your monitor's weird. Or there's some kind of distortion. And jama jama. Luna changes to the sword impulse as Kira's like, go to sleep, my sweet, sweet Atherin. We can talk anytime because you're not dead. And you're here. And you don't have a mobile suit, so it's not like you're going anywhere. And also, I'm not dead and don't have a mobile suit. I do really like the shot of Luna throwing the sword at Rey, who just goes straight into that sock footage of the sword strike booting up the sword with the legend. Ugh, I hate that. That legend looks so dumb. Zaf continues their aquatic assault. Luna uses the boomerangs as she's falling to distract and destroy, and then she and Ray both get Excalibur shots in on it, causing it to topple over and explode. Because of course it does. And Ray is like, I'm going to use my praise button. Good job, Luna. <laughs> I'm impressed. And she's like, bitch, I'm in a red too. Which is like a line that she has in, uh, at least in Gundam, yeah. like Dynasty Wars Gundam 2. I think yep. anytime you use like the, the big Musa attack, she's yeah. like, I'm red too. She's like, yeah, remember, all you did was sit on the bridge of the Minerva 2. I love how, like, Unit 3 has been destroyed, and you you see Jabril's feet as he, like, starts to walk away. Yeah. Which I love, because I didn't notice that when I was watching this earlier. Yeah, and it's just like his, like, he steps back slowly and then, like, starts to walk off. He doesn't say anything. The Destiny blocks a full destroy blast and runs in at it. Very anime. Apparently Sting. And Sting got stung by a sword. Yep. And Sting Oakley was never heard from again. Zach, this doesn't fit the pattern. I know. Yeah, no, he got stabbed before he exploded this time. Unit 1's been demolished. And I love how someone turns around here and is like, Hey, Jabril. Hey, Jabril, what, at this rate, we're gonna... What? Where'd yeah, you go? Like, 
I love that Jabril had the submarine just for him already prepared. Just in case. He doesn't take any of them with him. He's not like, oh, and Bob, we might need him. It's just him. He doesn't even bring his cat. Some ashes are here. Remember those? Just machine gunning tanks while they Legend fights the final destroy. And Shin reminds himself he'll fight any enemy since he's killing all these people that are just like Stella. Though I assume having killed Atherin, that's not really a problem for him anymore. He certainly looks less broken up about it. They raise a white flag and they're like, okay, please confirm and just don't let your guard down until there's a complete ceasefire. That makes sense, because some of the people may not have actually gotten the message on the front lines. And, and also, they certainly started with a dirty trick, so. And meanwhile, Shin goes and destroys the last destroy. It's like, yeah, this will be the end of everything once I do this. And I do actually really love this Super Robot Wars combo move they all do on it, where Ray just, or Shin does a diagonally right slash upward, Ray does one left, and then Luna just comes down. I don't know why. I didn't notice that that was all three of them. I thought it was just Shin. Yeah, I thought it was all just Shin, too. That's pretty good. There's also a shot earlier where uh, Luna throws two boomer or the uh, sword boomerangs, and then comes in with an overhead swipe, and yep. that was pretty cool, too. Kira goes to the bridge, and Millie's like, Harry, how's Atherin? And Kira's like, alive. Millie's like, that's good. And he's like, so how's the battle? He's like, well, looks like the Alliance lost. We haven't heard for sure yet. Surprising no one, although Moo's not in that bed anymore. He got moved to the Mayron bed. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe he's he in the bathroom. the bathroom. And the new ending song plays as the two... I actually do really like the shot of the Destiny and the Legend with the big swords in the air with the impulse on the ground with the one as the Destroy burns. Then we cut to Lacus. Lacus looks so depressed. Yeah. Yeah, well, this is exactly what they were afraid of happening. Actually, Kira looks frustrated, not depressed to me. That's fair, I suppose. As Kira's like, what are we doing with the world? It's our world. What are we even doing with it? I mean, it makes sense if Kira would be frustrated because this is exactly the kind of thing he's been trying to prevent and now he can't do shit about it because he doesn't have a mobile suit. I just did this. Durandal yet again has a smirk and Gladys kind of gives him a look. And then we get the ending scene. I quite like this ending song. I don't Me like, too. I don't like it as much as the second one. I think this is the first time I recognize a Japanese pop band as one I'd heard before because this is Seesaw, which did most of the music for the Dot Hack franchise. It's like a slow, sad song that really fits what Gundam Seed and Destiny like to do with their ending themes. And it's similar to one of the endings of Seed where we go through all the characters in front of their mobile suits on a space background, although they're not all destroyed this time. Yeah, that's a very, very distinct thing. This one kind of feels like buy all their playsets and toys. A little bit. But I also really like the like diagonal up angle through the characters we have for some so, reason. Really quick. What the heck is that gold thing? Tyler? You know when we keep talking about a thing? Okay. So that one specifically looks very much like a Code Geass design to me. It's a Hayaki Shiki. Uh, so what now? It's Char's mobile suit from Zeta Gundam. Okay. Although, that's not its pilot that's standing in front of it. No. What, you're telling me Dikasa doesn't get to pilot it? That would be cool. We also don't have nearly as many dead people in Space Heaven this time. I think it's just the druggies. Flay is nowhere. Look at how Lon Moo's hair is in this shot. Weird. Earlier, they actually had Heine. Yeah, okay, you're right. They do have Heine. You're right. Mayron's got her hair down. I really like the mirror of Lacus and... Yeah, Lacus and Mir. Mir mate in the same pose. Well, they both have their hands out, but, like, Mir's is palm out, kind of like she's pushing someone away, and Lacus is palm up, like she's like, hey, come on, let's go run to the TARDIS together. Oh, yeah, that's actually... That's kind of cool. But Mira's pushing Kigali away, I guess. <laughs> and meanwhile, Kira has eyes for no one but Atherin, and Atherin's kind of like... Sidelining over Kigali there. But Kigali's like, ooh, a donut. And that is the episode. What did you think, Tyler? It was just pretty okay. 
There were a couple cool action shots. I like where the plot seems to be going, but apparently it doesn't go there. So, so. <laughs> let me ask where you think the plot is going then. Because I've asked you a couple times, and you've always kind of been like, I don't know. But if you like where you think it's going, where do you think that is? Um, I feel like Durandal is definitely pushing a take-over-the-world scheme at this point. And I like the whole manipulating Shin into being his strongest hench piece, I guess. Spe- we were calling him Darth Shin at this point on the forums. Yeah, that's like, accurate. Six months after Revenge of the Sith came out. So I'm not sure what Jabril's end goal is other than world domination, I guess. Like- Jabril or Durundle? Did you mean to say Jabril? I did not mean to say Jabril. I okay, meant to so say Durundle. All right, yeah, so. He's hinted at it a little bit, but I only know that because I know what his goal is. Is it going to intentionally wipe out life on Earth? That seems like a thing he might do. That seems more like a crusade tactic, but... Well, we do know that he was pretty close with crusade. That is true, and we do know that Ray is maybe a clone of crusade. He was also close, so... I will say you're not far off on where it's going. It's more how we get there than where we go. That's the problem. <laughs> I feel like Destiny... Like, the feeling I get at the end is it leaves you in the lurch more than anything. It's why I said when we started talking about Destiny that I don't actually think it's bad. I just think it's very disappointing when you get to the end. And because it has so many good moments, that's way more frustrating than a series. It's just mediocre throughout. Like, say, a Gundam Wing. This is a pretty okay episode. And, I like, the last block of episodes have been pretty decent. I wish more of Destiny had been moving the plot along at this pace. Yeah, that's the problem. With, like, this good of... Like, the writing has actually been pretty decent. The pacing's been pretty good. That is a very big problem with Destiny. Do you have anything you want to say on it, Zach? Like Tyler said, there's a couple of really cool action shots here. There's a couple of, like, decent character moments. Things that kind of make you scratch your head and go, I think I understand what's going on here, but at the same time, that's not a good idea. And some of the other ones are just like, I don't know what you're doing here. Yeah, this episode leaves kind of a bad taste in my mouth. And I don't know that it did the first time I watched it. It feels, like I said, very similar to the Panama battle that Zaft had in the first series. Where the Earth forces were winning until they weren't. Yeah, it's not even that. Um, It feels like this battle almost needs more time. I think it's what I said about, it's yet again, this is the point we've been asking to get Shin for, where he gets to show off his combat ability, right? Kira and Athran aren't here to kind of be in his way or support him. This is all Shin, and he destroys five Destroy Gundams. That should be incredible, right? But it just feels like Tuesday. That's a problem with scaling. Destiny has scaled itself up too fast too, with too much. It hasn't even scaled itself up. It started there. Well, having him destroy the five Destroys, well, like, it's like, all right, like one was supposed to be this big, bad, nasty, and now you've got five of them, and like you're knocking them over like tin cans. Like the first Destroy, regardless of the fact that it's piloted by Stella, actually feels like it has some gravitas. And these are just like, well, they are big dominoes for Shin to knock over into each other. Yeah, they don't feel like they have the threat. I mean, they show them fire their big cannons, which destroys a good chunk of the fleet. But at the same time, like scales too high at this point. You're, now you're getting into statistics. And I do like that, like I said, because it suddenly makes the onus to be on Shin to turn the battle around in a way that feels dramatically appropriate, and not like Durandal is just like, oh, I have main characters, I win. And it seems like that's plan B, and it's what he has to go for. And in the end, the people inside the machine turn the fight around, which is something that anime and Gundam has always been about. Do you have a high point, Tyler? The cool Usalids are definitely uh, up there for their contenders. I think I'm actually going to say just that combined shot on the last destroy. Like, Luna gets to do stuff. That's cool. I like that. And technically, she gets the final blow on a destroy. Zach? 
I, I think my actual high, total high point has to be the fact that Luna Maria gets to participate in this one. <laughs> like, yeah. she actually gets to do something. It's not great, because you still have Shin scolding her for not looking out below her. But at the same time, that's a cool moment, because it makes sense. Because, like we've said, she hasn't been flying before. She's never had a vulnerable well, bottom before. And she gets to participate, which is more than Kigali ever got. And at the same time, she had the moment where she was like, okay, everybody form up on me. And taking field command. Yeah, she has moments of weakness, but she also has moments of strength. And she manages to have more of the latter than and, the former. And honestly, the moments of weakness are inexperience in what they're doing. Yeah. Because, like, when Shin tells her to take out the sword silhouette, that's because he'd been piloting the the uh, impulse for so long, as opposed to Luna Maria, who never really had that option. Mm-hmm. So she probably wasn't even thinking along those lines. Well, and also, I'm not sure Shin ever communicated that you gotta hit it with a sword. Well, I, I think imagine he-, he debriefed to that effect at some point, but... But there's one thing of, like, knowing something intellectually because somebody told you and learning it the hard way. I'm just not sure I ever told anyone. Let's see. You kind of took mine, Tyler, so I'm sorry to trying to get a B1 that isn't Jabril's very slow <laughs> Irish goodbye to the rest of Logos. <laughs> that is, I, I love that moment just because of how funny it is. It's also extremely in character for him, yeah, which well, I like. Jabril doesn't care about anybody else but Jabril. That's my backup one if I can't think of something better, because I feel like there should be something... Seeing the Gat strikes in animation for a half second is cool, but it's not a high point. I guess I'll just go with the Jabril thing, and if I think of something else, I'll say it. Do you have a low point, Tyler? I guess the fact that Logos all decided to get together in one place in a military bunker just seems like plot convenience, I guess. I don't, that's never really bugged me, um, just because we saw them all sort of forced out of their homes, basically. I feel like this was like their fallback point. Yeah, actually, you know what? My real low point is, uh, I mean, we already talked about it, but, like, just how much this series has escalated and how now five destroys me nothing. Actually, I'm going to change my high point now, if you don't mind. It's that super awkward kiss between Luna and Shin. That's, yeah, that, I forgot yeah. about that entire scene already, but that's actually a really good scene. I like it a lot. Low that, point could, is that? that could possibly grow to be a healthy relationship. That is not a healthy start. Honestly, I would probably have to agree with Tyler on that. It's, the Domino's Gundam is now, like, it's no longer a big threat. I think I will have to go with, we're in statistics now. Like, yeah. It, things don't feel like they have a threat because, as I think it is, like, one is a one death is a tragedy, a thousand is a statistic. One destroy is a tragedy. So, it's like, one of these things is really dangerous, five of them, it's now just a statistic. Now it's just a number. Why did we bring Sting back just to kill him again? <laughs> you know, I blank. I keep blanking that in my head because of how stupid it is. So I'm glad you forgot so I could use it. I think it's to like sort of highlight the Shin like realizing that they're all like Stella and still killing them thing, maybe, or to give these destroys more of a face, make them feel like more of a force. Shin killing Sting is more of a victory than him destroying five random destroys, right? But he was already dead, so it doesn't really feel like it. I think it's because, like, the writers felt like we can't have one of our main-ish characters be killed by grunts. I was fine with that. It gave the grunts something to do for once. Yeah, I also like that. I, I, just... I, I agree with Jeremy. It's it's really dumb that they brought him back. Yeah, the only narrative reason I can think for it, like I said, is to give Shin more of a victory, but I don't think it succeeds. I was about to say, like, Shin has no personal stakes with Sting. Yeah. There's nothing there. The only thing there is that he 
accepts that they are like Stella and that like everyone he's killing is a victim basically, but he has been manipulated to the point where he's okay with that. Whereas he would not let Kira kill Stella, he is now okay pulling the trigger, which I think is because Ray made him kill Atherin. I think we needed a little bit more time though to really reinforce that. So like this battle should have taken an episode or two. Yeah, that's what I get a full episode and more. That's kind of why I was saying when I said it's like the Panama attack and it's not enough. I feel like dragging this out a little more. Like an episode and a half is probably enough. I think two episodes is too many. Panama was fine being kind of like glossed over because of what it was. The only main character there is Izak, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas here we have Durundal, Jabril, Shin, Luda, and Ray. Well, and, and the Gladys. important part of the Panama thing was the ve- revenge for uh, the Joshua yeah. uh, Cyclops system and Izak's change of heart. The battle itself narratively was important that it happened but for our characters kind we of got irrelevant. the important bit yeah all right so i believe the use of lids will show up again if not we will rank them on the episode where i think they show up okay the forbidden vortexes and i i know do not though so do we want to add that to our list sure they don't do a whole lot i yeah i mean they don't really do anything so we're ranking them on looks how do we think they compare to their inspiration, the Forbidden Gundam. I think they look worse. I actually like these a lot more. They look like a really dopey seahorse. Like, I, I like the more streamlined uh, look of the Forbidden. I agree, they do look like a dopey seahorse, but I'm into that. So <laughs> The Forbidden Gundam wielding a scythe gives it a better silhouette to me, and that's the only reason I think it's better. I don't think it's much better. That's fair. What is the highest ranked aquatic mobile suit? Yeah. Pretty far down. We don't. Well, we have the like Ash them. higher than the Forbidden, actually. But the Zeno is at number fifty-four, and I think it's better than the Zeno. I think I agree. I would agree with that. Also, blue, as opposed to Zeno green. I'm blue. Dabba dee, dabba die. How do we think it compares to our sort of baseline, the Dual Gundam? Honestly, uh, I l- probably like the Dual Gundam more than you guys by quite a bit. But like, I prefer the Dual to the Dopey Seahorse. And I like the Vortex a lot more, partially due to the color scheme. And also, I was going to mention, I really like the weird claw things it's got going on. I do like the claw things. That's why I put them above other aquatic mobile suits, but I don't think I like it as much as the duel. What about another Transformer, the Raider Gundam? That's the bird, right? Yes. Abadibabadai. <laughs> I hate transforming mobile suits, but I think I got to go to the Raider because, number one, it's got that mace, which is kind of a unique thing for that one um as well as like it's just got a better color scheme in my opinion whereas like this one's the forbidden vortex is just blue, blue. <laughs> it is just blue and i really uh, like I said i really don't like the lines on it the vortex also transforms which should also make it equally dumb in that respect so. it's a much smaller transformation though right with yeah, just yeah. the bits over its head i think i might actually agree with zach on this one um, the Raider has kind of grown on me a little bit, despite not being around anymore. Not aquatic, but a specialist use mobile suit. Right below that, we have the Baku, which I've never especially liked. I like the Baku a hell of a lot more than that. Just because it's a meme now, I agree. <laughs> okay. How do we think it compares to our favorite outdated cannon fodder, the Jin? I kind of think I like the Jin more. I like the Jin a lot more than I probably should. Final question, is it better or worse than the Core Splendor? Better, because fuck the impulse. <laughs> um, I, again, still really like the claw things, so I think I like that. The Forbidden Vortex more. Tyler has a has an actual, actual and heavy quote justification. Uh, well, like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to talk out loud to myself to decide whether or not I actually like it more. 
And I think the answer is yes. All right. The Forbidden Vortex will go at number 53, below the gin and above the Course Blender. Neat. Any final thoughts, guys? I think I got mine out pretty well. Like I said, there's lots of stuff I like about it. Um, but I agree with Zach. This needed just a little bit more room to breathe, I think. Like, we needed a downturn at the end of last episode, right? And then for Ray, Luda, and uh, Shin to rush in this episode and be the turning around. Like, I think we needed some of the despair last episode. Yep. I, I, don't, I, I wouldn't have attached it to last episode. I would have left this episode on the launch of those three mm-hmm. and had the win end up, like, the end of this episode halfway through the next episode. Because that you don't want to muddy the previous episode and what it was doing with the beginning of this battle. You want to let that sit. I kind of like rushing from that to the battle to like make Shin's emotional state even more distraught. I also think if we do what you're talking about, I get what you're going for, but that becomes just another slow episode of destiny where nothing really happens. Right. Depends on what you do after it. True. Yeah. And I think I'm pretty solidly in the middle on this one. I, it was fine. It was, Oh no. I think they could have done more with it, but I'm not sure how they would have done more with it. Yeah, it is tricky because battles are can be fatiguing. And we have a, a long one coming up. I think the longest in either Seed or Destiny, episode-wise. Um, and I like most of the points of that battle pretty well. So, all right. I think that'll do it for this week, unless you guys have anything else you want to say. No, I think I don't have anything. Join us next week when we will watch Phase 39, Kira of the Sky. <laughs> An episode that a lot of people have feelings about. Is it when Kira transforms into a bird? Yeah, and he's free as a bird now, and he flies to space, just like Birdie, and then he just sits on Lacus's shoulder and ascends, (laughs) and he's like, this world is so bad, I just don't want to deal with it anymore. You're the only good thing in it, Lacus. Please save us. Let's go to Jupiter. The Raider Mark II. All right. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, we have to keep watching. It is our destiny.